from the furthest to the nearest, from the smallest of the smallest to the greatest of the greatest. Yoga is about all of life, everything we do, all of existence. My name is James Bogue. Welcome to the Whole Life Yoga Podcast. Hello. Today I'm still in Prague and so I'm going to do another Prague-themed episode. So I mentioned in the previous episode, Prague, the golden capital of Bohemia, is a place with which I've had some association now for well more than 20 years. The first time I came was, I think it was 2001, and I stayed for about about a week, nine days, and me and my then girlfriend, we just walked and walked and walked and went to the theatre and did lots of things, but we saw lots of this city. And we thought, wow, this is really a special place. It's got something very unique about it, at least in my estimation. Shortly thereafter, my sense of Prague as a magical place, was only immeasurably reinforced when I first heard this wonderful Puranic story, Puranic in the sense of being ancient but ever fresh, a timeless story. And it's a folk tale, and it's from the Yiddish tradition, the Jewish tradition, but it's a story that is full of the teachings of yoga. Just like in the previous episode, I shared a folk tale, a folk story, that is a yogic story, is a Puranic story. When I say Puranic, perhaps I should take a moment to clarify what I mean. Purana, ah, Purana, what a beautiful word. (laughs) Purana is a Sanskrit word, and it means ancient but always fresh. And it refers, amongst other things, to that body of teaching stories, or archetypal stories, or symbolic stories, which convey in memorable story form the teachings of yoga. Timeless teachings. Teachings that have been proven in the furnace of time. Teachings which point to the truth with a capital T. In other words, the truth that is perennial. The teachings, the perspectives that are perennially relevant for a human being. And so Puranas, traditionally an English folk tale in such vein, would begin once upon a time. When I was a young boy, the first Purana of my life, perhaps, we moved house when I was a seven-year-old boy. But before we moved house, age four, five, seven, there was a Purana that was already playing a significant role in my young life. And that was the original Star Wars trilogy. And how does that begin? A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. In other words, once upon a time. And where is Star Wars set? Where is a once upon a time folktale, fairy tale set? Where is a Purana set in the ever new now? It's not in a particular time or place. It's telling us about the perennial realities of life. I'm here in Prague. Yesterday night at the National Theatre, I was telling a Puranic... No, yesterday night at the National Theatre, they were performing Hamlet. But in a yoga studio, not that far away, I was telling the story of the Kumara Sambhava, another timeless story. But Hamlet is also, from my estimation, a Puranic story. Hamlet, like some other of Shakespeare's plays, is, from a certain perspective, dripping with truth. It reveals, it speaks to us of the perennial concerns of what it means to be human, the challenges, the opportunities of a human birth. Anyway, 
Puranic stories. I heard this Puranic story of Jacob originally on a recording by a, an American teacher called Thomas Ashley Farrand. And I think it was called Mantras, Sacred Words of Power, or something like that. Um, and when I was doing my yoga teacher training, I listened to the whole audio series, and it was great. He's a wonderful storyteller, Thomas Ashley Farrand. And he tells many stories associated with mantras in the, in the audio series. And I, I, not listened, I listened to this more than 20 years ago. But then I also shared this story, and I heard it from another teacher in person. And then I was in Romania a few years later, and I was teaching a yoga workshop, and I shared this story of Jakob. And then a lady there said, I've just been there. I've just been to this temple in Krakow that you're just telling us about. And then she gave me, and she, she pulled from her, she'd literally just been, and she gave me this sheet of paper that she had taken, been given from the temple in Krakow, which is associated with this story. And this story is also associated with Prague. And this is the story of Jakob. Now, Jakob was a mensch, by which I mean an ordinary kind of guy, a solid guy, a dependable kind of guy. He's not a dreamer. He's a pragmatic kind of person. But this very pragmatic Jakob, who lives with his wife in a particular quarter of the city of Krakow, he starts having very vivid dreams. So vivid, they start dominating his waking mindset because it's, it's persistent. He keeps having the same dream. And night after night, the dream gets filled in with more and more vivid details. And the dream is showing him, Jakob, making his way from Krakow across the hills and plains of Central Europe to Praha, the golden capital of Bohemia, where, in a particular place, is waiting for him a golden treasure. A treasure that he needs to claim so he can build a temple to the glory of that which never dies. Now, Jacob is not a dreamer. He's a mensch. He's a solid, dependable guy. He carries on with his solid, dependable work. But every night, the dream keeps coming back until one night he can no longer bear it. He jumps up in the middle of the night and his wife's like, oh, Jacob, what's going on? He says, I have to go. Don't worry. I will be back. I know where I'm going. Wait for me. Keep the fire burning. I won't be that long. From what I understand, it'll take me almost a month to get there and back. But I know what I'm doing. Jacob, have you gone crazy? I've not gone crazy, but I cannot resist any longer. Resist what? The dream. The calling. Trust me, I'll be back. And then Jacob, he puts on his coat and out he goes. And the wife is left there. Like, what's going on? Anyway, she, anyway, Jacob starts his journey. He's wandering. He's not wandering. He's making his way with clarity across the plains, up and over the hills. And it's like he knows the way. It was all mapped out so clearly in the dream, including places where he would find shelter, people who would feed him. And so it goes day by day, and he's nearing closer to Praha, the golden capital of Bohemia. And as he's getting close, he feels his anticipation mounting until he arrives in Bohemia. And then he's making his way towards the city. He can see some of its spires and some of its rooftops in the distance. 
The anticipation mounts, and he knows exactly where the treasure is. And where is the treasure? He's been told in the dream, yeah? It's in the stanchion of this great bridge that leads to Hrad, <laughs> to Prague Castle. And Jakob finds his way to the very stanchion, but not quite to the stanchion itself, just where he can see it. Because as well as the stanchion of the bridge, what does he see standing on the bridge where that stanchion is? The bridge which leads to the castle. And when Jakob sees this, he feels this cascade of troubling emotions and thoughts. He's like, why did I not see this? The dream gave me all the other details, but this one, I should have seen it for myself. This is the bridge that leads to the king's castle. So what am I going to encounter on the bridge? Soldiers, guards, of course. <laughs> and on that particular point of the bridge above the stanchion where Jacob knows that's where the treasure is, that's what he's come for, is a particularly intimidating monster of a guard. The man is two meters high, a meter wide, big beard, brightness in his eyes. And Jacob kind of makes his way across to the other side of the bridge and just slumps down against the wall for a moment, lost in this cascade of troubling thoughts and whirling emotions. And he's thinking, see, I, I, I was never a dreamer. What, 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 why did I not see this? What was the point of this? But he can't think. There's nothing to it. Why? I must have come here for a reason. He looks up and he sees the guard. It looks like oh, the guard's seen him too. So he kind of makes his way away and tries to find some shelter for the night. He does. And he sleeps surprisingly well. In the morning he thinks, well, I'll try again. Maybe, maybe there's going to be, I'll see something there. Maybe if it's not actually inside the stanchion of the bridge, maybe I can get some clue and it'll take me, tell me where to go or... I can't have come all this way for nothing. Next morning, he goes back to the Karl of Most, the Charles Bridge, leading to the castle. There seems to have been a changing of the guard, but when he comes to that particular stanchion, who does he see but the very same mighty-looking soldier that he saw there yesterday? And Jacob looks to the same spot in the shelter of the wall that he slumped in the previous day and he sits down there again. The morning sun is up and is shining down on the place where he's sitting and he just, he feels, I'm just going to stay here for a moment before I make my way back home. And somehow I can try and process this humiliation. <laughs> when the guard comes over to him, Hey, yes, you there, enjoying the sunshine. I've seen you. I saw you yesterday. I see all sorts in my line of work. But you look like a man who's looking for something in particular. Who came here for something in particular. You can confide in me. What did you come here for? Now, the soldier, the guard, as I mentioned before, he's a mountain of a man. There's something about his presence that could be considered to be rather intimidating. Yet he has a real warmth about him. And the way he talks to Jacob, Jacob feels, yeah, I can confide in this character. <laughs> and so when the guard asks him, what are you here for? 
Yakov looks up to Tim. Yeah, maybe I should just tell my story, get it off my chest. Oh. And then the guard encourages, is it a woman? And Yakov laughs and says, uh, no, no, it's not a woman. Well, tell me then. I can see you've come a long way. You've come to Prague for some reason. Tell me. And Jacob's, <laughs> he can't quite form the words because he feels so embarrassed. And the guard says, yeah, come on, I hear it all in my line of work. You won't believe some of the things I've seen. And Jacob's thinking, I don't know if he'll have seen something as crazy as this. And he says, well, <laughs> and, you know, he, can't, he can barely get the words out. But he says, well, I'm, I'm here because of a, a dream. And when he finally says, I'm here because of a dream, the soldier bursts into this rich, deep laughter. Ah, you're a dream. You're one of those dreamers. Ah, I have dreams too. Let me tell you, what's your name, by the way? Oh, my name's Jakob. Jakob, is it, is it really? Is it really? Ah, because, you know, I'll tell you my dream. My dream features this character called Jakob. This character called Jakob, apparently, he lives in the city of the Poles, Krakow, in the Jewish quarter. You know what my dream is? My dream tells me I have to make my way, I've got to wend my way all across Central Europe to this particular place, to the quarter of the Jews in the city of Krakow where this Jakob character lives. Because if I can just dig up his fireplace, I'm going to find treasure, treasure so vast and extensive that I can use it to build a temple. <laughs> That's my dream. Have you ever heard anything so ridiculous? Me? When my job is to protect this castle, these riches. You want me to go running off across the continent? What if? You have to be careful of dreams, my mate. Now, what's your dream? Have you is it as ridiculous as mine? Jakob, he's still sat on the ground in the sunshine. And he gets up now and he says, Well, sir. Thank you for confiding your dream in me, but, you know, um, I've really got to go now. I've really got to get on my way. Th thank you. Thank you very much. And Jakob turns around and starts running back to Krakow with the guard laughing behind him. And he knows the way back. He arrives some days later. It's also the middle of the night. Not that long before dawn. And he, you know, he opens the door. His wife is there in bed. She's rather startled. And she says, it's only me, it's only me. And Yaakov goes straight to the hearth. The heart of his home, of their home. And he looks around for something to dig with. He goes out to the yard, just behind the house, and he finds a little bit like a sledgehammer, and he starts whacking the ground, starts digging it up, and his wife, what are you doing, Jacob? Have you gone crazy? I thought you'd gone crazy when you went away. You come back even worse. What's the matter with you? He's like, calm down, calm down, calm down. And he starts digging. He gets his pickaxe. He continues. And sure enough, there, deep in the hearth of the home that they share, he finds gold. Gold enough to build a temple, a temple to that which never dies, a temple to the everlasting, a temple to the spirit that always lives and pulsates in the golden heart of every one of us, deep 
in the dark depths of our very being. And this is the story of Yaakov, son of Levi, from the Jewish quarter of Krakow, who journeyed to Prague and met the guard on the Karlov Most in front of the Hrad, and then ran home to find that the gold he'd been searching for was never separate from him, because it was the very consciousness with which he was having every experience he'd ever had. And so, this is a yogic story. But it transpired here in Praha, the space of the threshold on a bridge, the place that helps us cross from one state of awareness to the next state of awareness. But if we're going to cross from one state of awareness to the next, we have to be that little bit crazy. We have to heed the invitations of spirit that might speak to us through signs, through dreams, that will speak to us undoubtedly through the guidance of our conscience. We may feel the call to do things that would seem a little bit crazy according to the rules we've always lived by but they are inviting us to new perspectives, to new discoveries, and to new recoveries. Because one thing I love in the story, where was the gold all along? In the hearth. In the heart. Inside. In the Bhagavad Gita, the teacher is Krishna. Krishna literally means black or dark. His student Arjuna, Arjuna has many meanings, but one of them is who is pure and bright. One of the connotations of his name, let's say. But Arjuna, the student, the yoga student, comes to a point where he or she, we recognize as yoga students, I am ignorant. I am disintegrated. I'm in a state of dis-ease. I'm not in the most balanced, harmonized, integrated state I could be, and perhaps I could do something about it. And so then we muster the courage to look beyond the known, to look into the dark. And when we keep fathoming into the dark, what are we going to find? We're going to find all sorts. We're going to find beauty, and we're going to find poison. So there are many, many stories in the Indian tradition that illustrate this very potently, very beautifully. For example, in the Ramayana, when Hanuman, who is an emissary, a servant of Rama, prince of the royal house of the sun, symbolic of the individual soul, whose destiny is to become enthroned and seated on the asana of yoga, of enlightenment, in a steady, easeful place of balance, harmony and integration. Hanuman, who wants to bring about the integration, the reconciliation of Rama and Sita, of consciousness and its power, he has to leap over the ocean, the ocean of the unconscious and the unknown. And as he prepares for this mighty endeavor, he goes up to a mountain as his launching pad. And the description in the Valmiki Ramayana is so beautiful. It says, Hanuman, he draws in his club-like limbs. In other words, he draws in all his powers. This is Pratyahara, the yogic principle of turning our sense and action experiences back to their source, of offering them back to the consciousness that is allowing us to experience them. And when Hanuman draws in his club-like limbs, he presses down on the unshakable mountain. He centers himself. The mountain is symbolically the spinal column. He centers his awareness. As he presses down on the unshakable mountain, the mountain shakes. 
and he squeezes from that mountain all of the venomous creatures who've been residing in its inner depths and chambers. And he brings out all of the precious gems that are also being hidden within that mountain. And so this is what's going to happen as we practice. We're going to see all of the poison that we've been harboring, all of our capacity to behave or act in ways that are villainous and treacherous and we might say evil or dark. And we're also going to see the capacity for beauty and care and creativity. But if we keep fathoming, we will uncover the gold, the true treasure of that which never dies. The consciousness that enables all of experience, the light of life and existence that is our very essence. So I hope you've enjoyed this story, this yogic story of Prague. If you enjoy this type of archetypal mythological story, then I would encourage you to sign up for my mailing list via my website, jamesbogyoga.com. And then you will hear whenever I'm doing live storytelling events, either in person or online. And when I'm doing online or in-person courses or retreats where we dive into the yoga teachings, the texts, the stories, in lots of different practical, holistic ways. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the video, please like, please subscribe. And if you're listening on one of the podcast platforms, please give a positive review if you feel so inclined. All of those things will hopefully help this reach more people who would be interested in this type of content. Thank you very much. And may we find the courage to look deep inside and access more of the glorious golden potential of human intelligence.